Well, last week we started this coming into the Christmas season. Um, got off track a little bit with the life and ministry of Jesus. <clears throat> Thought we just would look at the, the season, look at the holiday that's coming up. And we looked at Matthew and we went through his genealogy, if you were here last, last week. And the bottom line was, you know, the, all the grace that God showed, um, even through the genealogy of Jesus, you know, some of the characters that are mentioned there. And I ha- kind of ended off by saying, guys, I think the greatest gift that we can give our Lord, our Savior. Surely, it's nothing you can really package up and put a bow on it. But if we would have the same grace to extend to our families, to extend to our loved ones. Can you guys understand this? Man, I can't even hear myself. And, um, <clears throat> but we need to do that, you know, to just reflect God's love during this time period. So, If I can do this, this is embarrassing. We're going to continue now, and and we're going to now go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. Starting with verse 1. After the holiday, after New Year's, we'll be back studying the life and the ministry of Jesus. We have roughly about more eight, about eight more months of that. And then we'll fast forward right into the book of Acts. Chapter 1. Verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order the declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances um, of the Lord blameless. Imagine. They had no children, no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well, um, now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he, Zacharias, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, 
and thou shalt call his name John. Of course, that would be Johnny B., you know, John the Baptist. And thou shalt have joy and gladness. Many shall rejoice at his birth. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their father to their children, the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. The angel answered unto him and said, Are you kidding? (laughs) Harry's paraphrase. I'm Gabriel that stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto you and to show you these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak unto the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not, could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass. As soon as the day of his administration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife, wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months. Uh, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. Now, if you would just kindly glance to the left a little bit. Verse 36. This is a discussion between an angel and Mary. Behold, your cousin Elizabeth. She hath also conceived a son in her her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Amen. Let's stand together with Bible in hand. And we'll pray over this section. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that with you all things are possible. Lord, before us, Lord, again, just another display of your mercy and grace to two people, Lord, who probably had given up on a dream, two people who might have just thought you had forsake, pardon me, forsook them, Lord. But yet later on, how you did hear and you were hearing their prayers. And it's the same with us. We might have prayed for something years ago, And it still resonates in heaven. So again, Lord, as we look and venture into this passage, we pray for your anointing upon our ears and upon our hearts. Would you help me, Lord? Just let this voice hang in there, hold out until I'm done. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're an angel. Especially with the jersey. Thank you very much. The Dallas Cowboy fans come in the second service. I'll get them. (laughs) 
church discipline. Oh, I, I missed one. Sorry. Okay. Get behind me. All right, now. <laughs> I hope so. Ah, come on. It's good to stand alone because apparently you are. Anyway. What now? And we got Steelers. We got Giants. Man, I love this church, right? It's a, it's a display of grace towards you guys, anyway. Especially from Eagles fans. All right, let's get serious now. The Gospel of Luke. Listen, Luke, not an eyewitness, as we'll see in our passage. Um, we know that Luke was a doctor. Um, Colossians chapter 4. Uh, Paul would call him the beloved physician. He's a very intellectual. The language indicates he could be well versed in more than just one degree or another. That he was probably um, knew different languages. Now, what would, what would happen in those ancient days is the rich and famous, well, they're able... And, and could afford to own a slave that could, would be, you know, show promising signs, educated, could learn. And so that's probably what had happened. There was this guy by the name of the- Theophilus, a very honorable man, just very rich. And he found this guy who apparently was a slave. And he schooled him, of course, in, in being a physician. Luke became his private doctor, okay? How he left Theophilus, we don't know, but we do know that he traveled with the Apostle Paul. And most likely, he, was, he had this um, um, personality where he was an investigator. We'll see this as we start to get into the passage. And um, we also know that this is the same Luke. That, um, um, that wrote the, the, the book of Acts. And he mentions Theophilus again, even in that book. So it wasn't just like a slave and a slave owner kind of thing um, that both of these guys loved each other. And, uh, and then what we have here is Luke's gospel or Luke's account of this. So let's pick it up and um, we'll try to get through, through, through this section. And we just, just remember... You know that verse, like you know, with God everything's possible. If I I don't title my messages, some people ask me if I would do that, um, but I think that would be the title of this thing, because you you got two people who no doubt probably gave up on a prayer uh, long long ago, and uh, all of a sudden now um, I mean think about it. Zacchaeus is standing in in the presence of an angel, and he questions him. You know, it takes a lot of downing to get to that place, you know. I'd fall over with a heart attack, I think. But it says, for much as many have taken in hand to set forth this ordinance, a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. And I want to read down, right down to verse 4. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word it seems good to me also having a perfect understanding. 
Now, again, this is that, that idea of having a perfect understanding. The reason Luke said he could have a perfect understanding is because he was, he was an investigator. And what he did is he just investigated all these eyewitness reports. And I don't know how long it took him, but he went to all the other disciples, earlier disciples. And I don't mean, you know, the 12. I mean, he probably went to anyone who just said, hey, look, I was there when he opened the blind eyes. You know, and I was there when the man at the, at the pool of Bethsaida rolled up his mat and went, hey, I was there. I saw Lazarus talking to Jesus after he rose, rose, risen him from the dead, rose him from the dead. And so that's what Luke did. He set out. He wanted to know the truth. And just as a personal application, I think that's a call that you and I have. Well, that we should be investigators, man. That we should be studying the word. That we should have a library. That, that we should just investigate. You know, investigate false doctrine. Prove them false. Investigate truth. Declare the truth. So that's what Luke is saying here. And the reason he really... The, the, one of the reasons here in these first four verses is because he wants this honorable Theophilus to know the truth. I mean, is there any other reason we would be investigators of the word or to be Bereans of the word, rightly studying the word? Not, not so we can flaunt our intelligence, not that we can just say, well, look how smart I am, but that we could go back to our loved ones, our Theophiluses, and just say, look, I've studied this, and I can declare this to be true. Amazing, the word there, uh, Theophilus, is the, the, if you look at it closely, Theo, you see the Greek word God there, and then you see Phileo, Theophilus, his name literally means lover of God, that he was a lover of God. You know, that's, I, that, I want that name. I, I can't change my name, but you know what I mean. I want to be known as someone who loves God. Because I think that supersedes any kind of ag you might go through or trials you might go through. If you know you truly love God and you have experienced his God and his love flowing through you, watch how you handle your trials. Watch how you handle people that you thought annoyed you before. And yet for some reason you're just flowing with God's love. Why? Because you love God. And listen. Pardon me. It's not something that we can just say, okay, let me push an internal button. You know, now I'm in love with God. Well, how can I grow deeper in love with God? Isn't that a legitimate question? Well, I'll tell you how. You just study how much he loves you. Because you didn't love him first. You didn't just go, you know what? I think a cool thing right now, I'll love God and then hold love me back. No, it's not how it worked. The reason why you love God, if you even have this much for him, is somewhere in your mind and your heart, you know that he's lo he loves you so much. And he's demonstrated that love. And he keeps doing that. So the more we learn about his love, we experience about his love, the more we become Theophiluses, and then we share, you know, that eyewitness report, our investigation to all those, especially during this season. Where people are afraid to say, Merry Christmas. Where people are afraid to let their guards down because they'll get hurt again.
You know, it's amazing. I just read this thing. You know how many people right now are in depression because it is the Christmas season? Because of the way they were raised, maybe. Bad experiences, letdowns. Listen, when Christ enters into the Christmas season and you discover how much he loves you, he adores you, you'll fall in love with him and you wouldn't be afraid. You know, even the guy at the gas pump, you're going to go, Merry Christmas, you, you know. You with me, guys? So again, now, here's something I find interesting. And this is just for you Bible students. You want to dig a little deeper. He talks about eyewitness. Well, Luke was not an eyewitness. He investigated eyewitnesses. Really, if you think about it, the Gospels, we only have two eyewitnesses, Matthew and John. Mark wasn't even with Jesus then. The reason Mark um, writes his gospel like snap, uh, snapshots, like a photographic a- or photo, photo album, is because Peter gave all the info, uh, all the info to Mark, and he pen- it's really the gospel Peter Mark is because it's what Peter had told Mark. But we only have really two: is Matthew, and of course John. Luke wasn't one. He gained his information. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are inspired. We believe that by the Holy Spirit. It is still the word of God. But again, if Luke does anything for me right now, he encourages me to go out there and let's start investigating the scriptures together. And then we can be certain that the truth that we give other people will have an effect, just like Pontiophilus. Now, notice this, too, in verse 5 now, as we kind of get into this. It says, There was in the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Notice this. It tells us a little bit about him. Of the course of Abiah, his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And I don't know if you and I could ever be that brazen to go blameless. Blameless. That's one thing I don't think I'd ever have the nerve to say. I follow this thing blamelessly. Anybody here can? I love to meet up. You can lay hands on me. I mean, oh my goodness. But again, we, what we see is he's a part of the priesthood. He is from the order of Abiah. Uh, his wife, Elizabeth, is from that whole you know, family tree of Aaron, Moses' brother. So what are we talking about? We're talking about two people in love with God who followed their, you know, their calling. He's a priest. He serves in one of the course. I'll explain that in just a second. And I'm, I, I look at this and I'm going, man, they've kept the commandments. They've walked in the word. They could, the Holy Spirit pens out that they're blameless. And yet the very prayer, their cry of their hearts, God, you turned a deaf ear to. That's what it seems like. Because they didn't just start praying for a kid in this, the, their, their old, you know, old age. See, see, back in their culture, if a woman was unable to produce a offspring, a, a daughter or a son, 
the mentality was, she's got to be cursed. She's cursed by God. Something's wrong with her life. God's favor has been taken off of her. And, 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 it, and it just, you know, again, what it shows me is you can have you know, a person who's is in love with the Lord, follows the word, has a great prayer life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to just drop what he's doing and answer your prayer. That there's a perfect timing when God will come through and answer that prayer. Amen, guys? Now, let's keep reading. Verse 7. They had no children because Elizabeth was bearing and and they were both well, uh, now well stricken in years. Um, Most scholars, and I forgive me, but I don't know how they came up with this number, but since they're scholars and I'm not. Um, Zacchaeus or Zacharias is probably around 90 years old. Elizabeth is 88. Now listen, Irm and I are in our 60s. Never mind. I don't want that kind of miracle. But for them, again, I'm fast forwarding it, but for this, this dear person, Elizabeth, to say, he has taken away my reproach. He's answered my prayer. But my goodness, at that age, he goes on, verse 8, and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in, in, um, in the order of his course, Again, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at uh, at that time, the time of incense. Just imagine what this is like for Zacharias. He is serving during his course. What's that mean? Okay, roughly there's around 22,000 priests that are serving in the temple area a year, about 22,000. It's, it's a huge ordeal. David had established what they call 24 courses. So each priest had to serve roughly um, one week during the year. It just gives you an idea what it t- took to, for the upkeep of the temple worship. They went, by the way, by a lunar calendar, the Jewish calendar, no, so there was 48 weeks in a year. So do the math. But it's, he is, it, it, again, it says his lot was chosen or by a lot. It seems the language indicates that it was his duty at that time. So it could be that there, during these, um, you know, this time of upkeep of the temple, you know, he looks at a chart and he says, oh, this is the week that I take care of. Of the altar of incense. Now, what is the altar of incense? Well, remember, listen, remember that when Moses was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land, God had given him a pattern. God had almost given him a blueprint of something that already exists in heaven, and that is the temple. 
So I'm not going to go through the whole tabernacle and give you the dimensions. But I just want to give you a kind of an idea of what Zacharias is looking at as soon as he comes up these set of steps and he enters into through the first gate of our first door. He walks in. By the on the right hand side, there is what they call the table of showbread. On the table of showbread, twelve loaves of the loaves of bread that represents the twelve tribes of Israel. To his left, there is a menorah. It's beaten out of a a solid piece of gold. It is fueled by pure olive oil. It is never to go out. As he's standing there, right in front of him, right before the veil, a humongous veil, 18 inches thick. I think it's 75 by 50. It's huge. Cherubims embroidered on it. Right under, right in front of the, the, the veil is what we call the altar of incense. That has to be going constantly. It's, not, it's never allowed to go out. So that's Zacharias's duty for that week. I got to keep this thing burning. I can't ever l- let it go out. Every piece of furnishing in the temple represented something. Table of showbread, the 12 tribes, the menorah, olive oil, Holy Spirit, continual light. But what about the altar of incense? What does that represent? In your studies through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, you'll find out that the altar of incense represents praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. When the Israelites would would sing and worship and the incense is going up before God, God would call it an aroma of rest. It literally means a fragrance of rest. My picture, humanly speaking, in my mind is God's saying, I enjoy worship. Does that apply today? Of course it does. When we come together and we worship like you guys prepare him room, I wish you could just stand up here because I don't have a monitor in my ear or anything like that. I get to hear you guys sing. And sometimes, man, I just want to break because I know that before God, there's this aroma, a fragrance of rest. It's like going past Burger King. Yeah. No, not like that. But, that, but it's, that's God. And it's the same thing with prayer. That whenever we pray, it's going up before God constantly and continually. Now, let's, with that in mind, keep that in mind because we're going to cross-reference that in just a second, right? I love this. Why they're doing it, people know this is the time to pray. There's people on the outside. They're praying. Zacharias is in now in the first room of the temple. Behind the curtain would be the Holy of Holies. Some have tried to place the, uh, the altar in, of incense behind that. Can't be. Because only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And it would only be the um, during what? How many? Yom Kippur. The only time the high priest could go in is that one time. So it's unlikely that all the other priests are going back there to tend to the altar of incense. So he's here. There he is. He's got this thing. He's got this incense. It's bellowing at the top of the tent. 
we got people outside now now um, uh, praying to God. Then it goes on. It tells us in verse 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side. Do you ever wonder why the right side? You want to know why the right side? I don't know. I, don't, I just <laughs> thought I'd wake you up a little bit. I don't know. <clears throat> but it's interesting. God never deals with the left, the left unless he's judging it. You, know, you think about it, the right side of the altar. Jesus sits on the right side of the Father. Isaiah 41 saying, I uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. If you wanted to make someone unclean, you whacked off his right hand. He could have used his left, made him unclean. Just to me, maybe it's just showing us there's a right way. There isn't two ways. It wasn't like the angel just said, you know what, I think I'll do the right side. I'm tired of the left. I, I, again, I don't know. But anyway, it's the right side. And then he goes, Zechariah saw him. He was troubled. Fear fell upon that Greek word trouble and fear. He could have fallen down and he's picking himself up. Now that to me is, is, is believable. Right, guys? Any of you guys ever uh, entertain an angel? I mean, just appear to you, freaks you right out. Not me, but I'm, I'm, that would trouble me a little bit. But so the angel said to him, fear not, Zacharias. Now here's where we need to tap the brakes. Slow down and I need your eyes. He says, your prayer, my old king, is heard. You might be reading out of a translation where it says, your prayer was heard. It's, re- it's really odd because it literally means your prayer really has been heard in heaven, but it's still being heard. Well, how can that be? If it was because we're dealing with the eternal, where our prayers going up before God is coming before the one who was, is, and always will be, the Alpha and Omega. There's no beginning, no end. So your prayer that you evacuated maybe as a young couple. Or maybe as a young person, maybe there was something going, oh, God, I need it now, and you never got it. It's still being, it still resonates in heaven. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing, you know. And I, I was reminded of studying this. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, Lord, make me this or make me that. But Ten years ago, Harry, you asked me to do something different, and that's my will. It's just, see, when we talk about prayer and it going into the eternal, then we can rest with just all the confidence that all things will work out for the good to them that love him and that are called. Yeah, but I wanted it a little different now. Too bad. God's going to do it his way because he loves you. Amen, guys. So there he is, Zacharias. He falls down. Your prayer's being heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and you will call his name John. You know what John means? Literally, it means that Jehovah um, is a gracious giver. And I bet you that's exactly the way Elizabeth felt. You know, when she conceived John, that God truly, pardon me, is a gracious giver. You know, it's funny. I had an uncle. His name was uh, Uncle Johnny. We used to call him Johnny. His last name was Good. Got a bird. I, I got a Christmas card from him one time, and it was signed Johnny B. Good. Anyway, the true story. We're going to name him 
Jehovah is gracious. But notice this again. You're going to have this son. He's going to be called because your prayer is being heard. And you shall have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. Beautiful. In the book of Revelation, I want to read this to you. And you'll have to do it kind of quickly here. Something about this altar of incense and, and what it, it kind of gives us an eternal perspective. In chapter 5, of course, this is the, this is the chapter where um, John sees God sitting on the throne and he's got this scroll in his hand. And this scroll would represent the title deed of the earth. On that scroll, there are seven seals. And every time a seal is popped loose, man, God's judgment is poured, on, poured out on the earth. Second seal, God's judgment. But when we get down around verse 8, there's something that's very interesting. It says this. He says, and when he had taken the, the book... The four beasts, the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, Jesus, having every one of them harps and golden vials, bowls, um, full of odors, incense, which are, what's it say there, gang? Which are the prayers of the saints. Everything you've ever prayed for has been stored up in heaven. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, well, why? Why didn't you let them just keep going into the eternal? And then, I mean, when we're in heaven, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Do you want to know something I find so glorious? That even when we get to heaven, glorified bodies, perfect. We have, you know, it tells us that for the ages, of God, for the ages to come, God will reveal his grace to us. Now, that's going to be an awesome Bible study, by the way. But one of the ways that he's going to reveal his grace is how he saved our prayers. He heard them, was hearing them, and will continue to hear them. That's how much he loves you. Again, in chapter 8, it says this. It says in chapter 8, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. I read a commentary once and said, now, this is what the commentary said, not me, that this is how we know there's no women in heaven. There was silence in heaven. About, I didn't say that. I'm just, this, this was from a commentary I read. But there was silence in heaven. Okay? I know. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And I, no, no let's get serious. I, uh, forgive me, you have to. I And I saw the seven angels which stood before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel came and stood at the altar having golden censers, these bowls. And there was given him much incense that he should offer it with what? With all the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar. The one we've been studying about. That replica. It's in heaven, right? The real altar, golden altar, which is and before his throne. And then it said, the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Guy, that's how much God loves you. He savors, he saves, he knows what you prayed 10 years ago and you're going, well, I, I wanted immediate results. Now, it's not the way it works. 
You know, that, that's why I believe with all my heart, those things that I prayed for so desperately about my family, that maybe I don't see it right today, but I know in the years to come, I'm going to see those prayers being answered. And when I get to heaven and those those golden bowls, those, and that's just the show to me, yeah, I listen to everyone and savor everyone. Let's keep going. He goes on and he says now, and thou shall have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice. Not just you and Elizabeth, man, but everyone else. Man, you know, that's something that's so cool about the Lord that when my prayers are answered or your prayers are answered and then we testify about the goodness. And doesn't it make us all feel blessed? Did you hear what the Lord did for so-and-so? Did you hear what the Lord did for South Jersey or whatever? It's just not. And, and listen, if you don't know this already, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Oh, and I hope you know that. You know, happiness, man, that's predicated upon your circumstances. You know, just imagine. Here I am. I go out and I buy myself this sports car convertible. It's 75 degrees on a spring day. And I'm just going down listening to the oldies but goodies, you know. <laughs> I'm so happy. I hit a tree. Where go, where's my happiness? Ah, and my insurance didn't kick in. I go to church, talk to the pastor. Believe it, her. I just bought this car. I was so happy. My insurance didn't kick in time. I totaled it. Pastor says, don't worry about it. I'll cover the whole nut. Now, we'll never do that, so don't come there. So, <laughs> right away, my happiness is soars again. Right? I'm happy again. And then you go cash the check. It bounces. Here goes now. You lose your happiness again. But you see, joy is different. For me, joy, fruit of the Spirit, is something that God does within us. That no matter what you're going through, I just was reminded of that this morning. You know, I got up, I wasn't feeling too hot. It's around five in the morning, I got this crazy pellet stove, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I realized, but don't matter, he loves me. I get to do this with my grandkids coming up, man, and I go to do this at the church, and I have people who love me there, man, and I, you know, I'm getting cookies, let's stop with the cookies already, you know, I'm going to be as fat as a, a, but then, no, I shouldn't say that. Keep, give me the cookies. But, um, but truly, guys, my joy is not predicated upon my circumstances. Or I would have bowed out of life a long time ago. You know that. My joy is from knowing him and knowing that he loves me and know that he savors my prayers and knowing one day I'm going to watch him and say, remember when you're praying for your sister? Now see that, Lord, please save Suzanne. And there's Sue standing over there in glory. God will keep revealing. All we have to do is just keep praying and trusting. Because what's the title of my message? Because with God, everything's possible. Even for Zacchaeus. Why do I keep mentioning that guy? Zacharias and Elizabeth. I'm going to start calling him Zacchae. Anyway. He says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. 
and shall drink neither um, wine nor strong drink. There was a certain vow, Nazarite vow, uh, that um, prophets and, and, and um, men would take, but no wine, no, no alcohol drink. And he goes on and it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. God recognizing life in the womb. God recognizes, he recognized us in the womb. In fact, when I was in the womb, he said, it's going to be September 1973. He's going to give his life to me. Oh, it's going to be in 1967. I'm going to take him through seminaries. He has our lives mapped out. Even from the womb, he knows our names. Amen, guys? Keep praying over that issue. Not trying to make it an issue today. But notice what he will do. This John... It says, many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord. He shall go before him in the spirit, in the power of Elijah to do what? To turn the hearts of the father to the children. And boy, do we need that today. The disobedient to the wisdom of the just, oh man. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was for the first coming. Gang, this thing can still be you know, declared to us because we're preparing not for the first coming, but for the what? The second coming. We need to be praying about fathers and mothers and rebellious teenagers and what kids have to endure today. The disrespect they have for the authority. I get that. But we need to start praying for a revival. And we need to search the scriptures and we need to investigate the scriptures and, and be able to tell the Theophiluses of the world that there is hope in Christ. That's what we're called to do. No, we're not Johnny B. He was to prepare the way for the Lord. He was the, the last Old Testament prophet. Well, wait a minute. Harry's in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. He's mentioned in the New, but he's the Old Testament prophet. He is under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to introduce a new way. Behold, the Lamb of God. The new way is he will take away the sins of the world. And that's why he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But that's what's going to be John. Zachariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? I'm an old man. I'm swell stricken in years. I'm 90 years old. And I love Gabriel. Are you kidding me, man? You're talking to an angel. How many angels do you talk to a day? This doesn't happen every day. I stand in the presence of God and and, and I'm come to speak to you and to show you these things, these glad tidings. Now, because you didn't believe, I love this. I got it even circled there. Because you didn't believe, you're going to be dumb. That's my old, you know, unable to speak. But I, I put in my, Harry, you're always dumb when you don't believe God. That's the most dumbest thing you could do in your life. You know, just not to believe the scriptures, not to embrace the scriptures, you know, and just go, well, he didn't answer my prayer before. I'm going to pick up my toys and go home. No, that's dumb. No, God hears every prayer. And God hears every cry. And we can rest. That all answers the, one, the ones that are according to his will. He goes on. And he says in verse 21. The people waited for Zach, um, Zacharias. And marveled that he tarried so long in the, in, in the temple. When he came out he could not speak unto them. He was unable. This is the first case of sign language I think. 
He perceived that he had seen a, they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. He beckoned, he kind of motioned with them, he remained silent. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration, his duty, his course was accomplished, he remained in there, not being able to talk the whole time. You know, he said, couldn't say a prayer, couldn't even sing a song because he did a dumb thing. And he departed to his own house. And after those days, imagine that he goes home. And again, I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny, but. But how did Zacharias mention or motion about his wife? I mean, hey, Elizabeth. I mean, she wasn't pregnant until he got home. He's going, uh, sounds like, you know, is it an angel? You know? Imagine how absurd or how crazy that sounded to her, you know. But I guess she had to acknowledge, well, you're not able to speak. <laughs> she, she probably thought that was the bigger miracle. But anyway, I just I wonder what that, that moment was like for both of them. She conceives. She hides herself for five months. Don't know why. I was talking to Irm. I go, you know, hey, Irm, why do you think she just kind of went into seclusion? Why do you think she just hid herself? She goes, I don't know, you know, you're, you're 88 years old. All of a sudden, you're walking around. It's obvious you're carrying now at five months. You know, we don't know why. But we love her response, though, where, again, remember, if you couldn't produce children, bear children, to them, that was a sign of God's curse upon your life. And, but this is what she says. Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. From, not men, but from the public. This reproach, this stigma. You know, did you ever hear someone say, yeah, <clears throat> I was always told he'll amount, he'll amount to nothing as he grows. He'll amount to nothing. Aren't you glad God sees us differently? You know, oh, he's never going to cut it. He's never going to make it. I can't tell you how many times I heard that growing up. Not, not by mom or anyone like that. And I wasn't a class act in school. I probably deserved to be kicked out. But to hear teachers saying, you'll never amount to anything, Harry. Why don't you just quit? Literally, why don't you just quit like your brother and sister did? Save me the ag of expelling you. I'm glad God looked down at me and said, no, I see something totally different in that person. And I'm going to use him to further my kingdom and my purposes. It's the same thing with you. Don't, don't, don't ever look down. And I'm not into the, you name it, claim it, oh, self-esteem and all. Look, you're sinners. You're saved by grace. You know, your acts of righteousness are filthy. But, but I'm just telling you, don't look down on yourself thinking... I can't amount to anything. I'm just going to show up at church. And then I'm going to slide out so nobody sees me. No, God sees you so much differently. He sees you as a son or a daughter. He sees you as a servant. He sees you as a bride. He also says he sees us as the apple of his eye. Everyone in this room, 
What's that mean? We use that as a phrase, a catchy thing. But the apple, the best way to explain it, especially to dads. Remember, dad, the first time you held that kid and their eyes are like going all over the place, you know, and you're, you know, and all of a sudden they see you and you're, oh, look, he, he said, I'm your dad. That's the apple of his eye. How he beholds you and he loves you. And he loves you so much, especially during this holiday season, holy day season. He wants you to know, no matter what you're going through, with God, everything is possible. Everything, according to his will. You know what I'm doing this year, guys? I, I have a, a prayer life, but it's very private. Irm and I will pray together, but there's times where I just want to be by myself. I want just, I, like, my prayers are going up as, as a fragrance, you know, before the altar of incense, you know. And sometimes, you know, uh, I force myself to do it because the flesh, you know, just doesn't want to do that. How many experience that sometimes in your prayer life? You got to drag yourself there. And then it's, okay, Lord, thank you for this day. I pray for your blessing upon it, God. And if you got a catcher's mitt, you're going to have to catch that one. Man, that went right, you know, and you're like that. And it's just, but then there are times where you just know that God wants to meet you somewhere. Well, over the years, my list, things I pray for, has grown and grown. I mean, I, we, Irma and I raised six kids, so we're praying about that. Now I have 16 grandkids. I'm praying about them. We've got a church of four, four to 500 people. I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for all the different ministries. And then I'm praying every time these prayer um, requests comes through, the text, I'm praying over them. And I've learned to do that right away and not, not to, no matter where I'm at, when my phone goes off, I see that prayer request, I'm nailing it, even if I got, because I'll forget. How many forget, Right. This is what I'm going to do. And I learned this. Um, um, I think it was from uh, uh, Robert Chapman. He said that what he started doing was he started to write down just names and just trust that the Lord was going to remind him of what to pray for. So I'm getting a, the first of the year, I'm getting a prayer journal. And I want you guys to do it along with me. And just... First thing you put, number one, priority. And I'll sound, this will sound stupid, but listen to me. You put your, yourself there. That's kind of selfish, Aaron. No, no, no. You need to be praying for yourself or you'll never be, be able to pray for your wife or your children. You got to pray Psalms 51. Search me, Lord. Check my heart out. Then I want to pray for Irm. Then I'll pray for my kids. Just names. Then my grandkids. Then I go into the next page. And I've got the church and different things that are going to. And then all I have to do every morning, right, is get up and have that journal in my hand. And just hold it. And I'll look at the page. Ah, oh, Tim, right now. That's right. Tim, he's going for a new job right now. Lord, would you just bless him, Lord? Give him the desires of his heart if it lines up with your word. Oh, Lord, Jenny, Jenny, she's going to be a Christmas Eve. Lord, would you just flood your mercy and grace upon her? And you just go through that just like that. And you, it's amazing the time that you will spend before the Lord and then just think all those prayers go up before the Lord as incense, a fragrance. There's my boy praying. There's my daughter praying. Amen, guys?
Richard, if you make your way out of here, buddy. I love you guys. It's so easy to talk with you. Hey, and check it out. I got my voice back. Let's stand together. Let me ask you a question, guys. How many really believe that with God, everything's possible? Would you just wave it? So right now, before Rich leads us out, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to save our loved ones. How many of you guys have unsaved loved ones? Raise your hand. How many of you guys know backslidden relatives that no longer fellowship and think you can drag them out Christmas Eve? Never know. Let's pray for them right now. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. How many years did they wait? How many prayers were lifted up? We don't know, Lord, but I imagine there were many. And we lift up ours to you, Lord, and we know right now it's coming before you as an aroma of rest. And right now we're thinking of that loved one. And in in our minds, we mention their names to you. And would you please, Lord, let them investigate Let them investigate, lovers of God. Lord, we pray for our Christmas Eve service, Lord. I know it's a time of singing and rejoicing the Christmas carols. There's a short devotion. But I believe it's the presence of God that ushers people into salvation. So would you, Lord, even start to prepare our hearts for our Christmas Eve service, Lord? That we wouldn't be able, we, well, pardon me, we wouldn't be afraid to invite the, the neighbor, the loved one who's turned us down time after time. I just remember my friend saying, Har, please stop. I'm not into the God thing. Well, <laughs> I'm not into any God thing either. I'm just into Jesus. So, Lord, would you please, would you just bring them out? And may Jesus be lifted higher, drawing all men to himself. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen Amen. Amen and amen.